Not too long ago, I was listening to a podcast by a guy whose last name is McLaughlin, and he told the story of taking his entire family on a trip to Scotland to kind of explore and invest in their family heritage. And he took like the whole family. So himself, his wife, his kids, his parents, his brother, sister-in-law, and their kids. So this huge group, right? And he's, he just pays for them and this organizes it and they get this huge trip. They fly over to Scotland and, and he begins telling about just like, how beautiful it was, you know, the the different locks and th they could sail on and, and, and taking a boat out onto Loch Ness and, you know, looking for Nessie, the Loch Ness monster. He talked about how beautiful the Scottish Highlands were. Um, he, he talked about playing on this world-famous golf course with his dad and how meaningful that was for them to kind of have a day out there uh, doing that on this beautiful golf course. Um, him and his family, they, they all bought kilts in their, the McLaughlin family tartan, uh, which if you don't know what a tartan is, the, the old Scottish clans each had a fabric with a specific pattern on it, and that was kind of the pattern associated with their family. So they bought um, these, you know, these kilts and this fabric that's associated with, you know, their family, um, their ancestors anyway. Um, but the culmination of the trip was a trip to Old Castle Lachlan, Lachlan being the original form of McLaughlin. Um, I have a picture of it here for you. Um, Old Castle Lachlan. Now, you can see here um, on the exterior, which is set like, in, there's some mountains, you know, there's, it's on, the, on a lock, it's on a big, huge lake, and on the inside, it's, it's this massive structure, um, and it's really, really old. It was built in the 15th century, so it's incredibly old, and just kind of to, to have this time walking around with your family, seeing um, like the literal age of the roots of your family tree and actually seeing and, uh, and tracing your family line back to this specific location. He said it was just this really, really special trip. Um, but as they were getting ready to leave Old Castle Lachlan, they were just starting to head to the cars. His mom took a bad step and broke her ankle. And not like a little crack, but like really like multiple bones broken, things not where they're supposed to be, like horrible, horrible break. And so then he kind of talks about how that event right there kind of derailed and, and took over the rest of the trip because they're wondering, okay, is mom going to have to have surgery in Scotland? Like, how are we going to get her home? Are they just going like, to kind of splint it up and have surgery home? What are we going to do? Where do we get medical care? How do we pay for all that stuff while we're in Scotland? He just said it was such a, a huge ordeal, and rightfully so. It was a, a pretty serious injury. And so they get all that sorted anyway, and... He said after he gets back home, he said it was such a, a, a special trip that he decided to just do more research into his family tree and see, you know, where, you know, just learn more about his history. Um, and what he learned was after digging a little deeper and, and kind of, you know, learning who, where, which way the tree branched um, was that his family was actually descended from the McLaughlins from Ireland, not Scotland. And he just kind of dropped that little tidbit in at the end of his podcast and then ended it. And I was just kind of like shocked because I can just imagine the kind of logistics that had to go into getting three different families, you know, their, their schedules lined up to go on this one like huge trip together. The ordeal of everyone getting passports and papers and shots if they needed all that stuff. All the money that was spent on this trip. I think of, uh, you know... The, the memories made and the beauty and the fun and the bonding and the 
breaking, you know, the stories they're going to tell forever. But it was all this work and all this, this huge event to invest in a family heritage that wasn't their family heritage. It was somebody else's family. They just happened to have the same last name. And, um, you know, I just found that so crazy that that's even possible to put so much energy into something that, that yes, was still special, but it wasn't what they thought it was because they weren't who they thought they were. Now, as we get into our passage today in the book of James, we're going to encounter a very similar issue. James is going to bring us to a, faith, a, a question about our faith where we're going to have to encounter that exact same idea because um, what James is going to make very clear is that it is possible to think you are a Christian and to believe you are a Christian when, in fact, you are not. And James has touched on that a couple of times um, here and there, but he really kind of makes it painfully clear in the passage we're going to look at today. And so as we get into the second half of chapter 2, and we're digging in, digging in uh, James, he clearly explains that there is a difference between just thinking you're a Christian and, and the, the belief that goes behind that, and actually being a person who has real, true, thriving, living faith. So if you got a Bible and you want to follow along, now's the time to grab that. If you got your Bible app on your phone and you want to follow along, uh, go ahead. If you're watching this on your phone, probably probably shouldn't uh, exit out to get your Bible out because then you'll miss the whole thing. Um, so yeah, here we go. James, we're going to start in chapter 2. Uh, we're going to kick it off in verse 14. James says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? So James enters into this, this murky water of a Christian's relationship with faith and works. And the reason I say it's murky waters, or at least that it's a tricky subject, is because when it comes to the idea of believing and having faith and, and doing good works, we can often really get off track with that. Uh, and and it's, there's, there's a lot of ways we can get off track, but I just want to talk about two big errors that, that Christians or, or people pursuing faith to some level tend to make that I think can hugely get in the way of them having real, meaningful faith in Christ. And the first error is this, believing that what really saves me is doing good works. What really saves me is doing good works, because that kind of seems like maybe that's what James is implying here. That Yeah, it's nice and good to believe, but what really matters is that you're doing good things. And so it's common for a lot of people uh, who, who, are, who are trying to follow Jesus to make their faith all about the works, this belief that in order to you know, please God and maybe even get into heaven, I've got to do a lot of good things. I've got to be basically a really good person, do more good than bad or however you think about it. But the ultimate thing is if I'm going to please God, I've got to be good. And these good works can, can be anything that we deem remotely Christian or religious or obedient to God. And, you know, some of the things that we tend to think of when we think of good works are, um, you know, good church attendance, reading your Bible, giving money, uh, helping people that you see that have a need, uh, going on mission trips sometimes, volunteering at church, volunteering at other worthy causes. Um, sometimes we can even consider a good work something like staying away from a sin that we really struggle with. Like, uh, for instance, if you struggle with anger, 
and it's been like a whole week since you've like gone off on anybody and lost your temper, you can kind of be like, all right, I'm doing really good. I'm like killing it at this following Jesus thing this week. Good for me. And so you can kind of start to feel like I've done some good things this week because I've held that anger at bay. But the problem with having your faith revolve around your ability to do good works is that you're not always going to do good works. You're not always going to do the right thing. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to have moments where you don't give as much as you think you should give, where you're not as generous as you know God would have you be, uh, where you pass up an opportunity to help somebody. You see somebody in need on the side of the road with a blown tire, and you think, I could help them change that, but I'm in a hurry. You're going to think, oh, there's moments when you're going to pass up and, and, and walk by opportunities to do good. And I've talked with so many Christians, some of you who are watching this right now, who the, the main emotion that has marked their faith journey is guilt because they constantly are feeling like, I haven't done enough. I failed. I'm not good enough for God. I'm trying to be the good person that I know he wants me to be, but I'm a disappointment. And, I, and, and that guilt leads to fear that God is mad at us or that maybe if, if it, we're having a particularly bad day, if we were to by chance die that day, that we wouldn't be saved. And that we only need, we need to cross our fingers and hope that if whenever we die, we go on a, a day when we're really doing good and, and doing a lot of good things and thinking the right way and, and acting the right way and speaking the right way. And, and the problem, again, with this salvation by works is that you're not perfect. And I'm not perfect. And so we are going to have good days and bad days. And you're going to feel good about yourself on the good days. But you'll eventually have another bad day when you realize that you just cannot live up to God's perfect standard. And then if you read much of the New Testament, you're going to find out that that fear that I'm not good enough for God's standard is actually confirmed. Um, one of the most clearly uh, worded places in it is in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, where it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's just a, a way of saying you're not good enough to earn your own salvation. Our effort isn't good enough. And so what we learn from that is that works-based salvation doesn't work. Salvation is not based on your good works. And so when we make our faith all about the good works, that's a losing game. That's not going to lead us to a, the, 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 the life to the fullest, as Jesus said. That's not going to lead us to the fullest expression of living as God, as God intended us to live. And so works-based salvation does not work, and it doesn't work because you're not perfect. But that's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus died on the cross, because he knew that we weren't going to be able to be perfect, and he loved us enough that, that even though we couldn't earn salvation, he came to give us salvation. And, and I'll be honest with you, even as a minister, and as somebody who's been for a number of years gone pretty much all in on faith and trying to live like a Christian with my whole life, like 24-7, every day. Um, I let it influence my, my marriage and my parenting and work ethic and all that stuff, right? I still really struggle with this. There is just something in me that naturally wants to assume that I have to please God, that, 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 that holds myself to this standard like, if I don't do good, then God's not going to like me. And that maybe he'll take away his grace and his mercy from me if I just can't be good enough. And one way I've seen this kind of express itself in my life is 
I'll turn things that are supposed to be good for my faith into burdens. Something like reading the Bible has, has for a lot of years, it felt like a burden to me. Um, because what I like to do, you know, I like plans and I like, you know, something to check off. And so um, I would always like take like a Bible reading plan. Um, for instance, if you're doing the, the growth plans that I've been emailing out on Mondays, uh, I've included a read the New Testament in 90 days Bible plan. Okay. I've had that Bible plan for a few years and I've tried it several times and I've completed it a few. Um, but what I do is I'll get this whole plan, right? New Testament, 90 days. And so I'll, I'll start off and I'll feel pretty good about the, you know, the days checking something off, feel like I'm really doing good, reading my Bible, doing that good work, you know, that God wants me to do. But then I'll miss a day, I'll miss two days and then I feel bad. And it's like, oh man, I'm never going to catch up. And I'm not going to get this thing done in 90 days. And I start feeling guilty and I start feeling like a bad Christian. And, you know, it finally, I, I had to like kind of break myself of, of that line of thinking because it's, it's false. This idea that I'm taking something that's supposed to be nourishing to my soul and something that's supposed to draw me closer to God. All I'm doing is I'm thinking that I have to earn my salvation. I'm just thinking that I have to be good enough for God. And so this idea that, that I, that I got to impress God or be good enough for him, it's absolute nonsense. And all it ever got me and all it will ever get you is a roller coaster ride between feeling good on your good days and feeling guilty on your bad days. And so since we couldn't earn it, Jesus bought our salvation and by giving his life in our place. That's why right after uh, Paul tells us in Romans 3.23, that's right after he tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, he goes on and he says, and are justified by his grace. Justified means we're made right with God. We are justified by his grace as a gift, meaning we don't earn it. It's a gift to us. It's a free thing through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. A propitiation just means an offering that turns away wrath. So we were sinners, we disobeyed God, and the wrath of God was pointed in our direction for our, our, the evil that we'd done. But Jesus offered himself in our place, and he took the wrath of God. That's what propitiation means, by his blood. And this salvation is received, as it says at the end, it's received by faith. Received by faith. So Jesus graciously suffered the consequences of, of our sins so that we could be saved. And... and that salvation is received by faith. And faith is this belief that th this trusting wholeheartedly that Jesus did die for our sins and that his death on the cross is enough. Faith actually should inspire us away from a works focused mentality because we're not leaning on ourselves. Faith is believing that Jesus is enough for us. And so we acknowledge that this salvation, it's not something that we do. It's all through the work of Jesus. So that's, the, that's what happens when you overemphasize the works side of things. Now let's, let's see what happens um, when you go the other way. What is the, the, the second error that we tend to fall into uh, when it comes to this, when figuring out the, the relationship between faith and works? It's this, the believing that I just have to acknowledge Jesus to be saved. It's, it's this idea that, that all I've got to do is I just got to say, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus, and, and depending on the denomination that you grew up in or that you're a part of, 
say I got to do a few things. Like for for us, you know, we we want people to have a confession of faith where they say, "I believe Jesus is the Christ, Son of the Living God, who died on the cross for my sins and rose from the grave, and I forever surrender my life to Him." We kind of have people repeat this little phrase just to show for the congregation their beliefs about the cross. Uh, then we baptize people by fully immersing them in water. Um, and, and usually after that, we say, hey, welcome all. You're, that's all you got to do. You're a Christian now, right? And so there's um, this belief, though, that once I've done those that, that entry-level stuff, I've got all I need from God. I've acknowledged Jesus. I kind of said, yep, all this is true. And now I've got my ticket into heaven. But instead of actually then going on to pursue it, a deep, meaningful, living faith, somebody who, who says, well, I'm just here to acknowledge God so I can get my ticket into heaven, they say, yeah, I think all this stuff that you think, that's fine, but that's all I need. And because they just focus on getting into heaven, um, the, the thought process I assume is, well, I've got my eternity secured, so I've got the church stuff that part of my life kind of taken care of, so now I can go back to living my life, doing what I want to do and, and living how I want to live, and I don't have to worry about death anymore because I've just kind of got that all taken care of, uh, taken care of and, and all tied up and sorted out. And, and because somebody who's assumed I acknowledge Jesus, they kind of think, well, I've got everything I wanted, and I can just kind of go on with my life. And so what often happens is people that kind of have this perspective on faith that, I did the bare minimum. I kind of walked through the opening, you know, a little ceremony of what it means to be a Christian. So now I'm, I'm in and I can just go do whatever. They rarely make Jesus a big part of their life. They rarely make church or investing in the church family a part of their life. Um, these, these people tend to maybe come, up, come every now and then, show up on a holiday here and there every, every couple of years or something. Um, but most of the time they just kind of check out and do very little with the church or Jesus at all. And that might seem like a really weird thing to say. And maybe I'm overgeneralizing here, and I know that not everybody who walks away from the church and stuff, that's their reasoning. Um, but I definitely, we've had people at our church who they started coming to church and they seemed really interested. And, and you know, you think, oh, good, we're, we're reaching out to people and we're, we're bringing people in and we're sharing the gospel. This is great. And then they um, will maybe come talk to me. And, or uh, we've had other pastors at time, we'd come and talk to them, and they'd, you know, we'd say, oh, you're ready for this, and we'd baptize them, and sometimes baptize a whole family, and then they'd disappear, never to darken the door of our church ever again. And that means they, they wanted something, they pursued some level of Jesus, and it seems to me like they just wanted to get that ticket to heaven punched, and then leave and then say, I've got that done. Why do I need to come back to church anymore? But ultimately, they end up with a faith that has no growth, a life with no transformation, and we see no motivation to serve or sacrifice as Jesus served and sacrificed. And, and when, we, when somebody does that, when there's people who have completely kind of taken a step back from their faith, feeling like they've gotten all they need out of it, which by the way, you'll see this in other denominations or just you know, in our culture, you'll talk to somebody and they'll say, oh, yeah, I go to that church. But if you ask them, when's the last time you went? It might be a decade, um, you know, or, or something like that. So this is a, a fairly common thing, I do think. But what happens is that somebody with that perspective has completely misunderstood the gospel. They don't have true, deep faith. What they have is knowledge. And 
you know, it's like the fact that, you know, all of us here, we all kind of know, we know, we've been told and we believe that it's true that if we would, you know, eat better and exercise regularly, that we would be healthier, that we would feel better, and that we would probably live longer. Like, that's not a secret to anybody. Like, I'm not blowing anybody's mind by telling you that. Like, that's something we could probably all agree on, right? And, and yet, for the majority of us probably, though we know it, that knowledge doesn't really inspire us to make a lot of changes, does it? It hasn't been something that has affected our lifestyle at all. You know, this is one of those things where, like, you can be eating, like, a mountain of bacon and be like, oh, I should probably eat better than this, but, man, I love bacon, you know, and you can just kind of, like, ooh, well. And so you know the truth, but the truth doesn't transform you. It's not something you've surrendered yourself to so that it changes your life. And so it's not just knowing the truth that makes a difference. It's about surrendering to the truth and letting it drive how you live. And I think that's the difference between that, oh, I've acknowledged Jesus. Or, and I think that's how, how people can live a huge portion of their lives believing, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm going to go to heaven when I die. I got all that sorted out. When James implies that maybe they're not Christians at all. And so let's get back in. We'll read James uh, chapter 2.14 again, and then we'll read a couple more verses to kind of help fill this out. James 2.14. He says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? See, he's saying that our faith has to be more than just mental acknowledgement that Jesus did die and did rise from the dead. It's more than just going through some motions of getting baptized and saying, yeah, I'm sure I'm in. All right, check. Um, It's got to be more than just something that's in your head. True faith is about letting the implications of that belief absolutely change your heart and your life. Because if Jesus really did rise from the grave, And that means he is who he said he is. That means he is the God of the universe, the king of all creation, and that he deserves nothing less than our full allegiance and submission to him. And that truth has to change every facet of who we are. It can't just be this, yeah, I I believe that, sure, in our heads and never do anything else. True faith is about surrendering our life. Yes, our eternal life. Yes, I want us to get to heaven. I want everybody watching this to put their faith in Jesus and be with me one day in eternity. Yes, Jesus is Lord over that, but we also have to surrender to him in the here and now. And so James says this simple acknowledgement of, yeah, I have faith. Yeah, sure, I'm in. But, but if that faith doesn't ever lead you or drive you to live in a different way, a way that follows in the path of Jesus, then that faith is hollow. It's false. It's not a saving faith, as James uh, asks the rhetorical question, can such a faith, can this faith save him? Well, the answer that he's implying heavily is no, it can't. So um, real faith, again, not just about knowledge, but real faith also isn't about just doing good works. There's, there's a way to put these two things together. And so it's real living faith is about giving Jesus your life, your heart, your time, your energy, and that submission to Jesus starts transforming you from the inside out so that you start to live and think and act more like Jesus. So your living faith, a real faith, it leads to the good works. 
that James is talking about. And so when he says good works, that you got to have works too, he's, because works are the greatest evidence that you have real faith. And so he goes on to kind of explain what this can look like in the next couple of verses. Let's go to uh, James uh, chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. He says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be, warm and well fi- or be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And, you know, you could, I think he's using the word faith here kind of loosely because a faith that never produces any change, that's not faith at all. That's something that is dead and lifeless. And so what he's saying here is that when you're a follower of Jesus and you have deep faith in Christ and you want to uh, begin being transformed into the likeness of Jesus, that you should start to have the compassion of Jesus, the generosity of Jesus, the desire and willingness to sacrifice and serve like Jesus has sacrificed and served for you. And, and it should be impossible for a person of faith to be in this situation where someone from the church comes to you and they're hungry and they don't have enough clothes to keep warm and you just say, boy, that's, that's really hard. I hope, hope, hope that works out for you. He's like, it should be impossible for, for someone with, with true faith to look at somebody like that and to not help them. But yet, if all you're concerned about is your ticket to heaven, well, you're not, you're not really looking to be compassionate. You're not really looking to be generous. You're not, you're, you're not, you don't feel the responsibility to walk those roads because you've never really taken the time to, one, think that that's how Jesus wants you to live, but also to be transformed to be like Jesus and have that sort of compassion and generosity. And so you might just look at someone like that and be like, mm, no, you know, I got bills to pay. You can, you can figure it out. Or one of the things I think Christians say too often is that I'll pray for you. And I'm not saying praying is bad, but I think there's a lot of times instead of saying I'll pray that God would send help, I think God's up in heaven going, you're the help. Be the help. And, and because our faith, again, is supposed to drive and produce us to love and serve and care like Jesus. And so when, when you have a, someone who claims to have faith, but they don't have any ounce of serving in their life, there's no generosity, no desire to help, no sacrificing, no investing in others in their church family, James says, well, what good is that? And the answer is, it's not good at all. If you're the kind of person who can look at someone in need and say, sorry, hope it works out for you, what good is that kind of faith? Because, one, it doesn't help the person who's suffering from, you know, the person who can't sleep because they're cold and their belly's growling. It doesn't help you as the so-called believer because you're not exercising your faith and growing in generosity. And it doesn't help the cause of Christ because you haven't shown the love of Jesus. You've stifled it. And so this kind of faith that's, oh, yeah, I believe, but I'm not really invested in doing a lot of things about it, that's a dead faith. And he makes it so clear that unless your faith guides you and leads you every day to be a, a person who is kind and generous and, and serving and sacrificial and loving and gracious, unless your faith is driving you to daily do good things, then you might need to check yourself because maybe your faith is no good. Maybe your faith is, like James says, dead. 
because one of the things that we need to realize and we need to understand when it comes to faith and works is that works don't save you. That's very clear. Okay? You can't do enough good things to save you. But real faith will always lead to a life of good works. That's part of what the Holy Spirit is trying to do in you. It's trying to produce and grow these fruit of the Spirit in you so that you live out every day by how you talk to people, how you interact with strangers, how you help people, so that you're, you're overflowing with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Real faith in Jesus. Life-changing, surrendered faith in Jesus will always lead to a life of good works. Now, just to be super duper clear, one more time, not good works for the sake of trying to earn salvation or make God like you. He already likes you. He stepped out of heaven to die for you. That's all you need to know about his love for you. So not good works to save yourself, but good works for the sake of loving God and loving people. I want to do good things because I love the people around me, the people I in, uh, come in contact with, and because I love my God and it pleases Him when I do those things. I don't do good works for, for my salvation, for my entrance into heaven. I, I want to do good works because I love God and I love people. That's the motivation behind why we do good works and how that overflows from our faith. It is very important that we understand this relationship between faith and works because it is so easy for people to get off track. And if you get off track with the work side of things, you're going to live a life probably driven mainly by guilt and always feeling like you're not good enough for God when that was kind of the point and the reason Jesus came. And if you lean too much to the, yeah, I acknowledge Jesus. I kind of, yeah, I believe it. I'm in. And then you kind of say, but that's all I really want from Jesus. And you kind of cut yourself off from from the depths of faith, you're not going to experience the fullness of life as Jesus had for you. Your faith is going to be this dry, dead husk of something that you're leaning on as your ticket to heaven when James says that kind of faith cannot save you. And so it is incredibly important that we understand the relationship between faith and works. So being a Christian, it's not about knowing something. It's not about doing something. It's not about being good enough to earn your way into heaven. No, being a Christian is about giving Jesus your whole life and being transformed to live and love like him. 